It's time for a little something I forget. My notes say I'm Professor Robert E.G. Black, and I'm here with Luke Allen from Christmas, actually, whatever that is. And it's time to discuss Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. But they're erasing me, and I have no memory of any of this, so I, my Zoom screen says you're Luke Allen. Take over. Well, I, I didn't make any notes for this one, so that's a problem. <laughs> okay. um, I could have made a terrible joke about the minute being frozen, but I didn't make that terrible joke. But uh, there we go. Um, okay, I'll read my notes. I don't know what they mean. Someone says, come on. And then someone else says, I think I heard a crack. It's minute 16 of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, in which Jill and Clementine are on ice. In Where are they? I've said last time, they're in New York. They're supposed to be in Massachusetts, but they're in New York. And Clementine's trying to get Joel out there. Come on. He says, I think I heard a crack. She says, it's not going to crack or break or it's so thick. We don't see the scene until late in the script, which is interesting. They changed it so that it came before the jump into the past instead of after. But also there's a little more to it. And it's kind of awkward because Joel says, listen, did you want to make love? Clementine says, make love, have sex. You know, I don't know what you call it. Oh, um, and he says, because I am just am not drunk enough or stoned enough to make that happen right now. Which makes sense. It took hours for them to drive here. Talked about that last week. And she says, that's okay. I, and he says, I'm sorry. I just want to say that this seems like the perfect romantic exotic place to do it. And she says, hey, Joel. He says, I'm just too nervous around you right now. She says, I'm nervous too. He says, yeah, I wouldn't have thought that. And she repeats a line we've heard versions of. Well, you obviously don't know me. And he says, I'm nervous because I have an enormous crush on you. And she smiles up at the sky, the script says. In the film, we go from the wide shot to an overhead shot of like that poster image of the two of them next to the big crack in the ice. Yeah, it was nice when I got the minute to realize, oh, it's the bit from the poster. It's it's a nice special moment. Yeah. And what I noted a lot of with this kind of imagery, of course, which in the fact that it's used in publicity obviously proves that, you know, someone behind the film was very proud of this shot, as as I think they should be. Mm -hmm. But I like the fact that obviously there is the crack, you know, things are are cracking and later on we realize yeah. more you know we see the scene again as things are beginning to crack well much further down that point mm -hmm. and they're together on one side of the crack and the crack is next to her not him you know which <laughs> is kind of how their journey goes yep. and they're trying to stick together as yeah. the world is cracking around them i think it'd be really blatantly obvious and very simple mise-en-scene to put the crack between the two of them mm -hmm. so the fact that they don't do that i really appreciate yeah it's better that it's off to the side, yeah. I really like this shot. I, I was trying to come up with a detailed like analysis of the crack, and I just didn't. No, it's great. And I love that thick ice has that like blue tone to it, and so it's not as stark an image as it could be. Mm. I mean, she's wearing a colorful outfit anyway, as she does, but just overall, it's not just a bunch of white around them. It doesn't blind you. Interrupting while editing because I cut several minutes here because Luke was talking about a film he is involved with that hasn't been made yet, so the audience wouldn't have much of a reference. It went on for several minutes, but basically looped back around to Clem's hair. Back to Luke. What we do with Clem's hair is something which I was thinking, probably not to that extent, because neither of the characters are manic pixie That's dream fine. girl types. That not Characters say, don't have to be that. No. It's not a requirement. It's not. It just happens a lot. <laughs> But uh, I also just suggested that all characters with dyed hair are Manny Pitsy Dream Girls. That's not true. It's nearly true. I feel like that term is a problem. I don't mean the use of it. I mean the term as well, because we narrow down what a character is. But in a story, we have to see why one character is interesting to another one. Yes. We're not in their head. So the only thing we can have is they make their life more interesting. 
The easy way for that is we have a shutdown character and we have an out there ADHD character who has too much energy and too much going on, has colored hair, bright colors, says too much because she makes Joel's life interesting. And so we understand why he would care because he needs that in his life. He's clearly got some problems going on. We don't know what yet, which 16 minutes in is a lot. Yeah. And I think what I find so interesting about this film that I'm working on is that as well as that whole kind of, you know, what you said about what makes your life more interesting is that because the film is focused upon the breakup and the reasons for the breakup is it's also as equally focused on how they make each other's lives more boring than they were before and worse and more stuck in routine. Mm -hmm. Clementine says, show me which constellations, you know, and he says, um, oh, I don't know any. And I wonder, might this be true? Like if constellations were something that she always asked him about, his knowledge of constellations would be damaged right now. Some of it might come back, but a lot of it would be gone because it was, he just got stuff erased last night. No, night before last. That's a really interesting point. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, I like that. She bumps Joel with her hand. She leans her head over by his and, you know, she needs to be humored. She says, show me which ones you know. And he kind of scoots away from her for a moment, but then he straightens again and is right next to her. He says, okay, okay. He says, oh. And he pulls his right hand from his pocket and points up. And he says, here's Osidius. She says, where? And he's already got his right hand back in his pocket. It's cold. He didn't prepare for this as well as she did. Now he pulls out his left hand to point because he doesn't have any gloves. And he's like, right there. See, sort of a swoop and a cross. Osidius the emphatic, which is obviously completely made up. However, a few years after this movie, 2007, the Pomegranates released a song inspired by this called Osidius the emphatic. Doesn't have a lot of lyrics. It says, when you look at the sky, do you see constellations? If you look really hard, do you think you'll see faces? And do you believe that they can see everything? The truth is they only see as much as you. It's just from their point of view. When you look at the clouds, do you feel hesitation? Do you wonder why you never see other faces? And do you subscribe to the stars never lie? Do you ask yourself, why do I look at the sky? I don't seem to see so clearly. Starry skies don't know my name and starry skies won't pull me from the blaze. So it's a song inspired by this scene. I love that the pomegranates, like that's, that's a fruit-based group, you know, it's mm-hmm. Clementine and the pomegranates is like a duet waiting to happen. <laughs> that is interesting. Is that a thing you're going to play a clip of or are you going to just like... Oh, definitely. Yeah. I will promote the pomegranates here. Yes. When you look at the sky, do you see constellations? If you look really hard, do you think you'll see faces? And do you believe that they can see everything? Oh, but the truth is they only see as much as you. It's just from their point of view. Oh, 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 oh,
unfamiliar with them until you just mentioned them then right me too i was just searching to see if like osidius ever like came from something and everything just linked to this scene or people talking about this scene or that song cool and that's cool it sounds like a name yeah like some sort of roman sort of name or whatever we actually stay on this shot for like quite a while uh, which i love mm-hmm. it's such a lovely kind of staying like pleasing shot and like about the camera doesn't like push in or anything I think there's slight movement on the camera. Well, it's handheld. It's handheld, yeah. Even when they use cranes in this movie, they still held the camera on top of the crane. I love how long we kind of stay on that because I think even aside from like the poster, the, the film wants us to remember this as like an iconic, memorable moment for them. Right. What we do see, and I'll talk about this next week, we essentially see four versions of this shot. We see her with Joel three different times and we see her with Patrick. And the difference between those four scenes and how it's going it's an easy gauge of how things are going in the story structure separate in a way from her hair telling us the chronology yeah because the chronology of the story is not the chronology of events which i think is why some people have a problem with this movie it's like they gave us this nice hair thing so we can keep track and then just work around it yeah well the chronology of the story doesn't matter really Well, the chronology of events, sorry, doesn't matter. Right. The chronology of events doesn't matter. It's the chronology of the story because it's the emotional core of his memory in his brain. Most of the movie is taking place in his head. Yeah. So the the order of his memories is insignificant. Right. It's nice to keep on top of. And I've done bits of it in each point I watch it. But also, I just, I don't care. Essentially, her hair becomes how he remembers when something happened. It's like you were talking about about a boy yesterday or day before. I forget. Another one of Hornby's novels or not novels, his memoir, Fever Pitch. It's been adapted twice into movies, but it's a great story structure. And it's sort of what I did with that last year of my blog, where you take this thing, he did soccer games, and goes through his life based on what soccer game was big at that point. And each chapter is built around a soccer game. And he also did High Fidelity, which was like that, but yeah, music. Right, that, but music. I guess it looks as if you're reorganizing your records. Yeah. Um, what is this, uh, chronological? No. Not alphabetical. Nope. What? Autobiographical. No fucking way. Yep. I can tell you how I got from Deep Purple to Howlin' Wolf in just 25 moves. And I want to find the song Landslide by Fleetwood Mac. I have to remember that I bought it for someone in the fall of 1983, pile, but didn't give it to them for personal reasons. That sounds... Comforting. Yes. 
And my blog, I went through movies and it was like, what are these movies I watched at a certain point in my childhood? And then they became fixtures because we had them on VHS. Yeah. And what did they tell me about life when I'm a little kid watching these movies? Eternal Sunshine, by the time I see this, I'm well past all that. I'm in my 20s when I see this. So it's less of that, but it's also a movie I latched onto and it's officially, if asked, this is my favorite movie. That's fair. It's definitely a film I come out of. And all of all three of these films in the trilogy are films that I feasibly understand them being people's favorite films. Mm-hmm. Right. But I also imagine some people probably, without knowing of the whole thing we did with the podcast and everything, would wonder why About Time is my favorite film. Because, <laughs> you know, right. I think it's probably less feasibly a favorite film than these are. Well, yeah, it's a little too, um, for some reason I went to Peter Griffin from Family Guy. It doesn't insist on itself enough. Yeah. (laughs) But since we're all going to die, there's one more secret I feel I have to share with you. I did not care for The Godfather. What? Did not care for The Godfather. Uh, How can you even say that, Dad? Didn't like like it. Peter, it's so good. Uh, It's like the perfect movie. uh, This is what everyone always says. Whenever they say, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino. I I, mean, you never see... Robert Duvall! Fine, fine actor. Did not like the movie. Why not? Did not. Couldn't get into it. Uh, Explain yourself. What didn't you like about it? It insists upon itself, Lois. What? It insists upon itself. What does that even mean? Because it has a valid point to make. It's insisting. It takes forever getting in. You, know, you, spend, you spend like six and a half hours, and then, you know, I can't even get through. I can't even finish a movie. I've never even seen the You've ending. You've never seen the ending? Well, how can you say you don't like it if you haven't even given it a chance? I but, agree with Joey. It's not really fair. That, I have tried on three separate occasions to get through it, and I, I get to the scene where all the guys are sitting around on the easy chairs. Yeah, it's and a great scene. I love that scene. It's not a great in every annual. I have no idea what they're talking about. It's like they're speaking different language. That's where I lose interest and you know I go away. speaking I'm, Italian! The language they're speaking is a language of subtlety, something you don't understand. These films, I think, insist on themselves just enough. They're pretentious enough. They'll get your attention. Either you're gonna love this movie or you're gonna be like, yeah, that's not for me. About Time is somewhere in between. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think that's almost the annoying thing in the... Uh, I, I messaged you the other day. I've got someone to watch the film that did not like the film. Well, right. And especially she didn't like the first half, Yeah, which is a problem for that movie, because if you don't care for the first half much, you might not be invested enough to enjoy the second half. And the second half is where it all pays off. Yeah. I also genuinely, I mean, I appreciate, first of all, her actually watching the whole film because uh, my grandparents, mm-hmm. I don't think did. They didn't like it, but I didn't count them because they didn't watch the whole thing. <laughs> right. But with her, I have so much respect for the fact that you could step back and acknowledge I liked the second half more than the first half. Like upon a first viewing, I think to view it as separate parts and and, and appreciate, oh, I didn't like it earlier on, but I liked it later on, I think is quite a hard thing to do. Mm. It's definitely interesting. Show me which constellations you have. Um, oh, I don't know any. Show me which ones you know. Okay. Here's Osidius. Where? Right there. See? Sort of a swoop and a cross. Osidius emphatic. <laughs> You're full of shit, right? Nope. Osidius, right there. Swoop and cross. Shut the fuck up. For the rest of the minute, I, I love that Clementine basically asked him to make stuff up. Yeah. And then she calls him on it because <laughs> he says it and she's like, you're full of shit, right? <laughs> but no, he's in now. And he's like, nope, Osidious, right there. Swoop and cross. He does the nice little hand motions. And she says, shut the fuck up. <laughs> she told him to make it up. 
not explicitly, but that's what she meant. It's so sweet. Right. Like, it's a lovely fact that, you know, I feel like if I hadn't seen the rest of this film, but I'd seen this minute, I would instantly understand their chemistry. Yeah, this is them. Who they are. Yeah. She needs something. He humors her. And then she might call him on it not being what she wanted or it being fake. Yeah. And he's okay with it. They're having a good time. Well, at this point in their relationship. Yes. But I think that debatably could be carrying on throughout is that he does what he thinks she yeah. wants and she calls him out on it. Right. Not to say that she's the problem, of course. <laughs> they're they're no. both the problems for each other. They both have their problems. In terms of the story of the movie, arguably she's the problem a few times and that's because it's from his perspective. That's how he'd see it. I think the movie gives us enough reason to blame him too. But also I think they're both good people who just aren't right for each other, but will forever also be right for each other. Right. They are great at being this brand new. Yes. And now their life is destined to just be that point in their relationship. Well, Mm -hmm. and then fail and then come back together, I guess. The question would be, and this will come up at the end of the film is what happens next? When they have a bad spot, like maybe they have a fight in a few months, they're like, should we just get erased again? Start over? Okay. And they just don't give all their stuff back to Lacuna. They keep like a note. It's like, go to Montauk tomorrow. Every time they just meet Montauk. Because Lacuna doesn't charge. They can't charge. We've already had conversations about this. It's free. So you do it all the time. Do it weekly. (laughs) That's what Tim does. (laughs) Just erases yesterday. Except he always remembers it. He does the opposite. He makes everyone else erase. Kind of a dick. It's a really long-term process. <laughs> just gathering them all in. He's just, yeah. he's just erasing people. Flashback to about time. The minute ends with Clem asleep in the passenger seat on the ride home. And it is daylight outside, which makes sense because this was like a three-plus hour drive to get to the nearest spot you could get to the Charles River. And they might not have gone to the nearest spot, so it could have been a longer drive. It take a while to get home, too. It's a lovely moment, and it's just, yeah. Watching this has made me want to go and watch the rest of that film Mm. more than the others weirdly ex machina i'd consider a film that i love way more than eternal sunshine i love all of these but i think ex machina i love way more but coming out of this this is the one that i am most like i need to watch this this week yeah (laughs) and maybe i will well it's like them they need to be in this relationship because this scene works yeah it shows you why they're getting along and how yeah so that you will understand everything to come That's the end of my notes, I think. And next week will get very uh, interesting. (laughs) And the week after, we finally get, you know, the credits. I forget how late the credits are into this film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With one of my favorite transitions in film, cutting to him crying in the car. Oh, yes. I am definitely watching this film this week. I am remembering so much. (laughs) Ironically. Yeah. So plugs, plugs. You can find a lot of the stuff that I'm doing at the moment at rockinghorsemedia.co.uk. So thank you for listening to this show. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for Minutia Ex Machina, every Wednesday for the Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute, and every Thursday for more Eternal Sunshine. You can follow all three shows on one feed as well. Just search an existential trilogy. Follow this show on Twitter at Spotless underscore Minute, on Instagram, and on Facebook at Spotless Minute. This has been a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find links to more at lemmingdrops.com or join the Facebook group Lemming Drops Studio Tour. And you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Until next time.